you. What style is that? It's my own secret technique. What's it called? What's it called? I said and Joko stand real. That's right. Yo, peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is, Adisa Banjoko chilling. This is a special episode um, where it's going to be talking about hip hop, death, Chalk G, GMX. You know what I'm saying? All of that. I got Dr. Ian P. Levy on with me. You know what I'm saying? He's uh, an amazing dude out there at uh, Manhattan College in uh, New York in the Bronx, Bronx, the boogie down Bronx. So we're going to be talking about this and specifically how it impacts young people, right? Because you know, um, folks are not really taking this well, right? Not just Shock G, but everybody, Black Rob, Double K, DMX, ODB, right? Um, and so many people in between, Heavy D, you know what I'm saying? Rest in peace to all of them. God bless all of them. You know what I'm saying? Nate Dog. you know what I'm saying? Um, but we have to have a serious conversation about certain aspects of hip hop. One of the things I want to do is I want to give a young student of mine and his family some props and some loves. Demetrius Fleming Davis um, was a student of mine. He was a young man I mentored at Realm High School uh, right there on the border of Oakland and Berkeley. And he was murdered a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago, not long before what I believe would have been his 19th birthday. And um, he was killed by a stray bullet after a bank robbery, or not a bank robbery, like a liquor store robbery. It was across the street and he caught a stray in the situation. And it is horrible. Um, my condolences to his family and all of his teachers and the staff and the students and the faculty over at Realm. You know what I'm saying? I love y'all like extended family for real. And um, it's tough, right? Um, because stray bullets happen, especially in cities like Oakland. You know what I'm saying? And um, he's so young. 19 is so young. And when you're 19, you don't really realize how young that is until you're 51, seeing someone who's 19 died long before their time. And he was a good dude. He, he wasn't really off into the stuff as, as I understand it. Um, but I wanna tell you guys a story. I'm speaking to the young people, I'm speaking to the parents. When my son was a junior in high school, his junior year, he was blowing it heavily uh, at this one semester. I mean, like he basically had done no work at all and he was in, danger of after having a completely stellar uh, academic career really warping his future, right? So um, one of the things that happened was I pulled him aside when I realized everything was going down. I walked into his room. I was like, yo, let me talk to you. What's going on? And you know what? He was just burnt out from being a hell of a student. He was burnt out uh, from being a hell of a student and he was tired, which is, which is fair. Students get tired. You know what I'm saying? Just like all you adults, you don't like going to work every day. You know what I'm saying? They don't like going to school every day. So I said, look, let me tell you, man, I know it's hard. I will support you in any way I can. If we got to, you know, hire somebody or, you know, me and your mom can help, whatever we'll do what we can, but here's what I want you to understand. One of the reasons I want you to go to college is not just because I didn't, right. But because, College is a network, not just a place. It's a place where all these other people who are trying to do stuff you're trying to do 
are and you get focused and you you are inspired plus your teachers right and all the stuff that they bring you right so i said you know i want you to understand that like my desire to get you in the college is to keep you safer because we was living in south hayward at the time <clears throat> and south hayward is bonkers shout out to everybody on huntwood <laughs> where i used to stay and um you know, Huntwood is grimy in the stack. Everybody knows what's up. Um, I used to always walk from the beginning of Huntwood all the way over to uh, South Hayward Bart Station. Bonkers, especially hella early in the morning and even worse at night after I got off Zaytuna teaching, you know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, you know, I said, look, it's crazy out here. I know you hear these gunshots because you know what I'm saying? I know that gave him PTSD, you know what I'm saying? Got it so my youngest daughter would hear gunshots and be like, get upstairs. And she'd be like, I know. She calm off hella gunshots? That's a horrible sign. But this is what happens when you live in the grimy areas of the world. So I said, I know you're tired of these gunshots and I know it's mayhemic, bro. I said, but just buckle down. When you get into college, you're going to have a great day. And you're going to know that it was worth it. Because when you're on a college campus, you're away from the mayhem. I said, let's say you don't listen to me and then you don't go to college and you okay, you want to go work at Southland Mall in the shoe shop, get some extra J's on the low, whatever. Okay, fine. But then one day you're on the bus and some dude's looking at you, you looking at him, he thinks you're from some part of town or he don't like what color you're wearing and then something stupid pops off and you start whooping on him, but then you get stabbed or vice versa or you kill this dude. Either way, whether you go in the grave or you go to jail, everybody's going to know had you been in college, that probably wouldn't have happened. Because things have to go really wrong on a college campus for you to die on campus. And I want you to live and I want you safe. And as a parent, if you get on a college campus, I'm gonna sleep better. Your mom gonna sleep better. We're gonna be happier and you will have a better future. Well, he graduated uh, not too long ago and he's on to bigger and better things. And I'm glad because what happened to Demetrius is the nightmare of every, every parent. Like kid wasn't even doing anything. You know, so um, kids really focus up on your school, really think about your future, really go after it because people that love you want to see you win. You know what I'm saying? Um, and parents, man, just help your kids understand the, 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 the beauty of strategizing their life and going after their goals. You know what I'm saying? So that they can't catch that stray. They won't be there to catch that stray because they're off doing what they need to be doing, you know, with the best of their brains and hearts, you know. Um, and, you know, now I'm back onto this Shock G thing, you know, I mean, Shock G, man, he, he meant so much to hip hop. He meant so much to the Bay. He meant so much to the art and talent inside and outside of hip hop, man. It's hard to really even evaluate his influence you know digital underground was one of these crews that kind of seemed to come out of nowhere and just take over the game you know um i first heard digital underground through being a young rapper and there was this guy who wanted to to manage me um and i believe his name was moses he was an older dude uh he was kind of brown skin he had dreadlocks and he was cool 
and he wanted to manage me. And so when he came over, uh, one of the groups that he uh, played for me, that he was managing, was Digital Underground. So he put the tape in. And I think what I heard was your life's a cartoon. I think that was it. I think it's your life's a cartoon and underwater rhymes. It was one of them. Might have been both. In any case, um, I couldn't believe how dope they were and that Moses thought that I should be managed next to these dudes because I was like, "Woo, these dudes are dope. They're going to be large. And he was like, yeah, man, so I'm managing them. I want to manage you, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, a month or two later, while I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to let this dude manage me, Digital like drops him as a manager. So that made me not want to work with him because I was like, well, those dudes are dope. And if they don't want to rock with him, maybe they know something about him that I don't. So I'm not going to do it. And so I didn't hear about him again until they were on Tommy Boy. So that was really dope to me. Um, just the fact that I knew who they were before they blew. And now they're really blowing. Right. So um, as they blow up, I'm working at uh, Tower Records in San Mateo with my boy Jason Slater, who was security. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Snake River Conspiracy. Rest in peace, Jason Slater. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, life's a cartoon, underwater rhyme. So then now they're out. So then I'm like, okay, this is dope. This is dope. And then um, they, two things happen. One, I meet Ray Love. I've told this story a hundred times before. There was a girl down the street who was from Santa Rosa. She threw parties when her parents went out of town. And then Ray Love and Dizzy would come to these parties. And that's how we met. And he said, oh, you hella funny. You remind me of my boy, Tupac. Y'all got to meet. But every time they would come down, Pac would never be with them. Um, and so then I'm working over at uh, Tower Records. Jason Slater is over there doing security. I'm bagging stuff. I'm taking like my flyers. And when people buy hip hop records, I'm putting flyers for the shows that I go to in their bag. That's guerrilla marketing, dog. You understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Freedom Troop 187. Anyway, um, and I meet Brett Davis, who uh, was also known as MC Hilo from Freedom Troop 187. He's from San Mateo. He comes in. We start talking. He bought something. We became cool. And he tells me that he's down with digital. I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, they got a new video coming out called Do What You Like, and I'm in it. And he is in it. If you remember the Do What You Like video, there's a guy with the glasses on, the nerd at the front desk. That dude was a bass player and a hell of a rapper. And his name was Brett Davis. And they knew they knew him as high low, you know what I'm saying, in the rap circles. Um, and um, he was cool with Jimmy Dry, Chop Master J. So, but you know, obviously he was down with the whole crew, but him and him and Jimmy were the tightest. And so um Brett was in that video. He's like, come to the record release party. Plus, remember, I wrote for the source. Plus, I was rapping, right? So come to this thing, you know what I'm saying? My boss, Barbara, at the time, she used to be the manager. Um, and Jimmy came through to talk to Brett and Barbara one day. That's how me and Jimmy met there. Um, and then, so they're like, yo, you know, we're having this, this record release party for sex packets. So I went and... It was the craziest, best party of my life. Digital underground parties were the best parties in the Bay Area, period. Nothing has ever equaled that. Nothing. I go to this party early. That's where I met Tupac. The picture you see uh, of me and Pac 
and Ray Love and some other fool who just bombed. No one ever knew. Who was that guy in the middle in the white sweater? No one has been able to name him. Who are you, bro? Anyway, uh, meet Tupac. He's like, hey, what's up, man? My name is Tupac. I'm like, what's up, man? Bishop, you know what I'm saying? He was like, cool. And somebody was like, yo, let's take a picture. Took the picture. That's historic. Um, he was down with digital, meeting Tupac, but he wasn't really in the crew yet. He, you know, same song hadn't been recorded. Uh, he was mainly like a dancer and kind of a roadie type dude. Um, and me and him became cool that night and hung out a lot. <laughs> it was hella crazy. But like, let me, I mean, I'm trying to tell you about how dope this party was. I'm pretty sure Easy e was at that party. I know Too Short was at that party. Um, everybody who was in the mix was at that party. DJ Fuse was killing it. I remember uh, the reason why I think Easy is there is because DJ Fuse played the first local public listening of Above the Law, Living Like Hustlers. That's what ATL means if you're from the West, Above the Law. It doesn't mean Atlanta. You know what I'm talking about? All respect due to Atlanta. I'm just telling you what it is out West. You know what I'm saying? 187 KMG. You know what I'm saying? Go Mac. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. West Coast hip hop. So anyway, the party is out of control. I go, I meet Pac. Boom. Ray Love. Boom. What's up? We hugging. We thugging. We out. We break up. There's hella people coming in the party. I mean, the thing was, is like there were hard dudes in the building at a digital underground party, but there really wasn't nothing really wild. You know what I'm saying? Um except one time there was some shooting out in front of something. But here's what I'm saying. Um, all kinds of amazing women came in. I remember, um, you know, one of the things that Humpty and Shock G did for a lot of dudes, right? Talking about how ugly he was and all that. He gave a lot of people confidence. Yeah, I call you fat and look at me, I'm skinny. You know what I'm saying? So I see this girl who's like the coldest, prettiest girl in the room. And everybody knows it. You know what I'm saying? I was the type of dude, I don't really ask women to dance. You know what I'm saying? But I was like, man, I don't care, blood. I'm about to go ask her, blood. So I walked up early. Like, people are just starting to dance. Like, people are coming in and people are just starting to dance. I was like, hey, what's up? You feel like dancing? I never talk like that. I'm always be like, would you like to dance? You know, and they'd be like, no. <laughs> Bye. Right. Uh, but I was like, hey, you like, you want to dance? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, what? So she comes out and dances with me, dog, me for like 45 minutes. <laughs> Think, no, 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 you got so, so, so. Right. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. Um, and like, you know, like, you know, you're with the, with the prettiest girl in the room. And when you're dancing next to other dudes who are dancing with other chicks and those dudes who do not know you are looking at you like, you know, <laughs> so, um, it was a great night, hilarious, fun, food, all of that. And then cops come in tripping out of nowhere, like, mm, I don't think it was midnight. And they start shutting it down. And the thing is over, like they are not playing. And it turned out Two Short's limo driver had got shot in the head and was dead in the alley. Two Short had come in a white limo and it was parked in this alley. I don't know what happened. I, I never understood the story behind that murder. But that happened at Club DV8 in San Francisco. Crazy. Okay, that's one party. Then I'm going to tell you about the other party. The Juice 
movie release party hosted by Tupac, DU, whatever, man. Party was bonkers. Uh, where was that party? I know, but you know, the names change so often. I, I don't even think that club is what it, what it used to be. Um, I thought it was on Harrison, but it, I don't think it was at, at, uh, city nights though. What's the club up the street from city nights. I know somebody yelled at the screen. No, no, no. It wasn't the sound factory either. Uh, it was before the sound factory. I think anyway, the thing that I remember again was the digital underground party vibe where you got hard dudes, but they're not tripping and everything is cool. Um, I remember the DJ did fuse spin at that. Anyway, I just remember hearing the soundtrack. Remember uh, Cypress Hill? Shoot them up, just shoot them up, y'all. Yeah, shoot them up, just shoot them, shoot them up. What do we come from? Listen to the songs, like our anthems are all like murderous. <laughs> like, yeah, shoot them. Anyway, um, man, it was just such a dope party. But what I remember is is Tupac got up, talked about the movie for a minute. But I don't remember if this was before or after Shock got on. But let me tell you what I remember. What Shock talked about was how proud he was of Tupac. What Shock talked about was how he always believed Tupac had that extra thing in him. You know what I'm saying? And then he talked about how he remembers when Tupac used to get in trouble and his moms wouldn't want him to stay with him, that he would come over to his spot. And then and then Shock's parents would be worried and be, hey, don't be letting people in the house. Da, da, da. But what Shock would do is he would open his back window and help Tupac climb in. And he would be like, and then we'd just be laying there talking about music and passing the blunt and just just trying to be quiet. You know what I'm saying? And And, you know, people forget that, you know, Tupac had a big heart. But shock was a big part of Tupac's having that heart because he was a recipient of that love from shock, right? And that ripple effect down to Saphir because shock loved Saphir and Pac. And then Pac was letting Saphir live with him for a while when, when, when Saphir was going through it in the early days, right? So this is what I'm talking about. Like what Shock G does for the Bay is hard to, to, to think about. I think I've already mentioned it, but his love for P-Funk predates Dre. And that to me, the mellowness and the jazziness of it and the warmth of what, what Shock brought to, uh, to hip hop is part of why G-Funk exists. Because that was pre-Dre. I keep saying that, and that's no disrespect to Dre. Good Lord, we all know. You know what I'm saying? But um, man, I mean, that's really what it is, man. You know. So we also, in conclusion, man, uh, signing out before my man EMP Levy jumps on. I just want to say that, you know, like, oh wait, that wasn't all the parties, was it? When Digital Underground was getting ready to go on their first tour at Jackson Street Studios at Jackson Street Studios in Oakland, up the street from uh, Laney College, right? Um, they were like, yo, we're going on tour. We put our stage show together, come through with a big old party. So I went, um, there was some, some shooting for a little bit out front, but most people did not see that. I was out front with about eight people when some people drove by. And I've talked about that situation before, but that's not the point because nobody got hurt and that's what's beautiful about it. But um, that's when I realized like how dope 
the entire stage show and concept for digital was. And if anybody was at that party, you remember how crazy it was and how fun though it was. They kept hip hop fun when people was trying to be extra hard. Cause remember, this is the rise of NWA. This is the rise of West Coast gangster rap in general, mob music coming up out the Bay. And man, I mean like the fun and the peace and that vibe that digital brought, man, it's just never been replicated, man. It's never been replicated, right? But like, you know, we look at Shock G, right? Not very old. Black Rob, not very old. Double K, not very old. Uh, uh, DMX, not very old. We look at ODB uh, 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 and, and Nate Dog, right? We're looking at people who really died young, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of other people in between that, right? And one of the things that we haven't really admitted from our generation of hip hop, I'm not talking about hip hop right now, I'm talking about our generation of hip hop. Um, it doesn't rap about a lot of healthy stuff. You know, let's be honest, KRS-One, Cam, West Coast Cam on that song Stereotype, right? Uh, uh, talks about like the importance of eating well, um, a lot of, you know, KRS-One really promoted vegetarianism and, and probably what became a lot of the, the vegan lifestyle stuff. Same with, uh, you know, the only people that was really talking about that outside of KRS-One were Muslim rappers, right? Your 5% dudes, your Sunni Muslims and your NOI dudes. They're the only ones that was talking about that, right? That took a while to catch on in hip hop. That's before Dead Prez, right? Public Enemy, stuff like that. That's before... Uh, common and a lot of these other dudes become vegan and wu-tang right down the line you feel me like um but in the beginning if you listen to what is on rap music about what rappers eat what are you gonna get i love white castle because it's the best but i buy a fat burger when i'm way out west beastie boys new style um you know there's there's a lot of a lot of 40s right I drank 40s and Brass Monkey because of Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, straight up. And that's responsible. Well, I don't want to say responsible. It contributed to me not graduating. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a binge drinker. I wasn't like an outright, straight, crazy drunk. But I did drink too much, especially on the weekends. And that was a big part of it was because of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to be like Run DMC, you feel me? Um, and my point is that, you know, if you look at, you know, poor Nate Dogg, all the strokes he had, you know, Tone Loke, who was still with us, I mean, he suffered, I think, more, more than one heart attack. I think once he even had one on stage. I hope I'm wrong about that. But my point is, is that, you know, um, coming out of the 80s where you got crack, where you got guns and you got hip hop, black men age in dog years. We don't like to have that conversation between the stress of just living in the hood right? Plus the fast life of hip hop, right? Plus crack, plus guns, right? And all of the gangsterism that comes in the business of rap, man, like Shock G is not old. He's black, black Rob, double K, DMX, ODB. I think ODB was like 35 when he died. Man, listen, people be like, oh, they died young. Not really. Not really. You know what I'm saying? I'm 51. People be like giving me props on the looks. You know what I'm saying? Hey, thank you. You know what I'm saying? I moisturize and exfoliate. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you know, I eat well and I, you know, I stopped drinking and smoking early. I was chewing tobacco at seventh grade. Baseball. You'd be like, black guy chewing tobacco? Why? Baseball. Um, 
I was I was experimenting with drinking, you know, like everybody did probably, I thought in the 80s because of everybody, a lot of people had bars on the West Coast, you know what I'm saying? Especially in the suburbs, right? Uh, people's parents had bars and would drink, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I didn't start really starting to experiment, experiment until like seventh grade, you know, that's when Bartles and James comes out. Oh, remember Bartles and James? Uh, you know, at the house parties and whatnot, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, uh, Red Lobster, let's think about hip hop. Where do where they eat at? Red Lobster, White Castle, McDonald's, once got busy in a Burger King bathroom, you ain't gonna leave without getting a sandwich, are you? Um, after you wash your hands. Um, and all kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, Super Socko and Gin. Who remembers the DOC talking about Super Socko and Gin? How are you gonna get gin and juice? First, you got Super Socko and Gin. What is Super Socko? I'm not from LA, but my boy AK, also known as 12 Gauge back in the day, uh, he said Super Saco was like, uh, what do you call that drink? It's like Gatorade, but it was only like really in and around LA. So Super Saco and Gin, DLC. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, King T used to talk about being drunk. You know what I'm saying? The alcoholics, it's a whole crew of bar droppers and spitters. You know what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is you can't have steak and lobster like a mobster and 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 drink all them 40s and all that stuff and think that you're gonna live long it's just it's not a lifestyle it is a death style you feel me it's not a lifestyle it's a death style and that's why it's important that again that krs1 the muslims in hip-hop whether they came from the sunni uh the noi or the five percent you know what i'm saying ramadan mubarak to all the muslims around the world you know what i'm saying allahu akbar you know what it is um those contributions began to change the way that we looked at hip hop and the way that we looked at um, our own health, right? And this is why I love my man and my brother at Cage Against, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the other homie, Brett Sweet, you know what I'm saying? Um, because him and a lot of other people in the Bay, like AK Black, et cetera, over at Physique Magnifique are the ones who have been trying to push with myself this idea of, using martial arts, using yoga, using meditation to get healthy and stay healthy. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, Islam saved my life in that regard. Cause when I was younger and, and, and people that know me for real, they'll know me before Islam, I ate a pound of pork a day, a pound of pork a day. Cause I was so small. So, so remember when, when Costco was brand new, you could get this big old thing of of, of pancake mix and I was trying to be a hundred pounds at the age of 18. I was the 98 pound weakling and I was trying to get those two extra pounds to make it to hundred pounds. So I spent the summer of my third, like the, the summer between junior and senior year, my goal was to eat this eight pound bag of pancake mix. And I ate Jimmy Dean sausage or bacon at breakfast with the pancakes then I would have pancakes for lunch with like Jimmy Dean sausage and then I would have whatever dinner was. So my house was known for smelling like pork forever until I decided that because black people were on a plantation eating pork and that's what the, the, the slave owners gave our ancestors that I would never eat what they eat. I would never eat because that's disrespectful. Like what Southern cuisine is, is black people making the best out of a horrible situation. But I don't need to eat like a conquered ancestor. 
I don't, you know, I don't, and I won't. So that was before Islam. That was just on some black pride. You feel me? Because I guarantee you, you know, anyway, man, I'm about to get too deep on y'all. Anyway, my point is that hip hop changed the course of my diet with the wisdom that it gave. And it changed the diets of a lot of people. But most of the people inside hip hop, as in the artists, only recently is the vegan thing kind of kicking off, you know, again, because of RZA specifically, because of, of, of Common, you know what I'm saying? Because of Dead Prez, right? And a lot of other people promoting these lifestyles. Man, we need to take our health seriously. And we need to understand that between COINTELPRO, look it up, Black Pro, these are CIA op operations, right? And all of the things, you know, the 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 uh, the 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 school to prison pipeline, the the private prison agenda in 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 America since the '80s, you know, three strikes and stuff like that, right? Man, like black people die faster and quicker and are under so much stress. Like, and now we're just old. Hip hop doesn't want to admit that it's old. I know we can still rock mics. I know, but we getting old. 51 is heading towards old. You know what I'm saying? It's heading towards old, you know? And we need to just give thanks and try to preserve the life that we have and spend it with the best people we can and spend it doing the best that we can for our bodies. All right. Um, if you're interested in, in a cookbook, look up anything by Bryant Terry. He has amazing recipes, lots of different books on that. You know what I'm saying? That's on Amazon right now. You know what I mean? Um, I think Stick from Dead Prez, if you go to his page, he's got some CMOS. If you don't know what CMOS is, you need to get that in your life. I know how to make it amazingly. Um, you know, you could also look into the Gracie diet by Horian Gracie, but that H is spelled like a R. R-O-R-I-A-N. Yeah, Gracie. You know what I'm saying? Uh, always get the, the best book that hip hop ever read probably is How to Eat to Live by Elijah Muhammad. You know, you could also look into, uh, I think Malcolm X talks about a lot of that stuff in his autobiography, right? Um, and you got to also remember, right, anything by Dr. Sebi, of course, you know what I'm saying? Uh, look, in, look look, up my boy Ralston Gracie. He's kind of taken a lot of Dr. Sebi stuff and kind of mixed it with the Gracie diet. It's really dope. And um, also there's a book called um, Eat of Eden by Kloss, K-L-O-S-S. Kloss is the last name. I want to say Joseph Kloss. I'm not really sure, but that book really changed my life. Shout out to Miss Lightfoot for, for giving me one of the original copies of that book. Um, you know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, and there's also a book called Rays of the Dawn by Dr. Thurman Fleet. Okay. These are health books that you can get. But what I want you to remember is when everybody's dying of, of, of COVID right now, especially in the black community, a lot of them are dying because they already had diabetes. They already had high blood pressure. They already had hypertension. And you got to remember that every black person who told us to eat for ourselves and to think for ourselves and to do for ourselves was killed by the government, was killed by the government or had their organizations attacked and had, were personally undermined. Right. So now you start to understand that what Elijah Muhammad was telling you to eat like 
is one of the best ways you could have ever eaten, but you wanted to trust McDonald's and you wanted to take fried chicken from the Colonel and all this other stuff. You understand? No good. No good. Right. You want to look at Malcolm X who did what? He had one meal a day. He drank water, tea or coffee mostly. Right. One meal a day. That's intermittent fasting. Why did he look so great? Because he was intermittent fasting. That's how I'm living right now. I'm doing one meal a day right now. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. And that's when people start saying you look young. That's when people start saying what's happening in these. I'm not saying I didn't have some genetic blessings, you know what I'm saying, in the name of Allah for my mother and my father. I mean, come on. Obviously. Right? Obviously. I mean, my parents look young. Not that I look good. That's what I'm saying. My parents, my parents look young. Uh, what, what I'm saying is outside of the genetics, right? People go, oh, your genetics, your genetics. Yeah, genetics do absolutely play a role, but the genetics don't jog. The genetics don't do intermittent fasting. The genetics don't do the push-ups. The genetics don't do the squats. The genetics don't do jujitsu. Okay. The genetics don't make juices two and three times a day fresh, nothing out of, ever out the bottle, right? They don't study teas. Okay, not just the orange pico, homie. You gotta, you gotta get into it. The white tea, the green tea, the black tea, the red bush. You have to really get into these things and understand, right? Because I want hip hop to do better and be better, feel better, and thrive better. My heart is broken, man, over the death of Shock G. Because of what he meant to hip hop, man. What he meant to the music you have right now. I think it could be argued some of his stuff, even, even, you know, it's too much impact, man. You know, Mystic, y'all wouldn't really know Mystic if it wasn't really for, for, for digital. You know what I'm saying? I think the first time I met her, I met her in front of a studio over there in Berkeley. Her mom had pulled up. She was getting out of the car or she was pulling up and her mom was switching seats and, and shock was out in front with money. You know, and and look what she brought to the bay, right? Come on, man. At that girl mystic. So anyway, I'm out of here. We're gonna bring uh Dr. EMP Levy on. We're gonna have a deeper conversation about you know DMX, MF Doom, you know what I'm saying, and what their work meant and how we talk to young people about death and what it really means in hip hop. You feel me? So I'm up out of here, you know what I'm saying? It's a worldwide west side. Um Please do not forget to subscribe. Uh, we're going to roll out seasons in a couple weeks. Seasons, I think, starting in June. And we're going to have themed out shows. It's going to be a whole new vibe. And I look forward to sharing it with you. I appreciate you. Please share, um, you know, the last few shows with the people you know. And get ready for what's coming. Because it's going to be lit. Oh, my God. It's going to be lit. So I'm up out of here. Stay blessed and beautiful. Defend your smile. Right? Live your day, live your week, you know, stepping in love and logic, you know, act with compassion, but think for yourself. And final shout outs and heartbeat props go to uh, Aeon Jiu Jitsu in London. Love y'all. You know what I'm saying? Special shout out to Eamon Madden. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and in Leeds, I want to shout out Professor Mike Bates and I want to shout out T. Uh, over at Gracie Baja Leeds, Roundhead UK. Loving it. 
appreciate the universal family of jujitsu immensely looking forward to getting back to London and jumping on the mats with my fam down in Aon BJJ and Stratham London. Did I say Stratham, right? I say stuff crazy wrong out here. Um, but listen, call five people, three people, rather call three people, talk to them for five minutes and tell them why you care about them. We do heartbeat props on this show because of Digital Underground, because of the song Heartbeat Props. Because even back then, Shock G was saying, you gotta tell people while they're here that you love them, you know? And finally, man, I gotta say, my boy Kamal, three weeks ago, he said, you know who you need on your show? You know who you need on Bishop Chronicles? I said, who? He said, Shock G. I said, dang, I don't, I haven't, I haven't seen or talked to Shock in years. He goes, man, he has a lot of knowledge, man. You need to get him on your show. I said, yeah, let me think about that. Two weeks later, Shock is dead. Let me tell you something else that happened to me. So Dr. Pete, back in the day, uh, I was coming out of um, um, the doctor's office and, uh, and uh, Paul Walker was walking in. And he says, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, what's up? Pete introduces us. And Pete's like, he does jujitsu and he loves hip hop. You should interview him. And I always felt weird. And I don't know why, but I was like, oh, you know, I should interview him. And, 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 and Paul Walker was into it, but I kept delaying it. Cause I was like, oh, I'll probably be inter inter interrupting his day. Oh, he's got so much to do, you know, blah, blah. I was being, and then look what happened. He passed away, man. Right. So then I interviewed Vince his, his jujitsu instructor, and you can Google that if you put in, you know, Paul Walker, jujitsu, you know, Bishop Chronicles, you'll see Vince and me talking about, you know, Paul Walker's love for jujitsu. But my point is, those are two times, and I could name more, of people that I should have been more proactive about getting in touch with and helping them, uh, help helping to celebrate their wisdom and, and stuff like that. And now I'll never know what that interview would have been like. I'll never know what that conversation with Shop would have been like. So I'm trying to be more proactive and reaching out to people and letting people know, like, you know, love is real, man. Reach out. Don't wait until fools is dead. And that's why I say when I die, when I die, first of all, I don't want no kind of like funeral, man. Just put me in the dirt as quick as possible and keep it moving wherever I'm at. I'm not even tripping. Don't bother to come through visiting my grave or whatever, because people don't do that anyway. Right. Let's just be honest. Right. Once you kick the bucket, people rarely go to your grave. Don't bother. You know what I'm saying? Live your life. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and I don't even really want a funeral. But the real deal is if anybody has any kind of thing uh, for me, you understand me? If you get up to speak at my at my at my whatever and you can't talk about how I roasted you, we probably weren't that close because all of my real partners get roasted. <laughs> so at my funeral or any kind of remembrance, you have to come up and roast me and you have to leave explaining one of the roasts that I said about you, right? That's how it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm tired of sad funerals. I'm clowning on the way out and I'm clowning on the way in and I'm clowning forever. It's West Coast, I'm gone. Bishop Chronicles, peace. Enjoy this conversation.
Peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is. Adisa Banjoko, boy, West Sayai, worldwide. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, there's been a lot of mayhem going on in America, right? I mean, we got the George Floyd stuff still coming off of that. Like, how'd that happen? But then what do we do next? Then you got the young sister who was killed the same day. Like, okay, it ain't over, right? Then you got DMX. Then you got MF Doom. Then you got Double K all passing away. And it's like... What's going on? And that's just on top of what's in our regular real world. And so um, I am finding it, you know, unfortunately, one of one of my uh, students, Demetrius Davis, he was he was killed uh, last week in Oakland. You know, what I'm saying right before his 19th birthday, you know, what I'm saying. And this was a kid that was not a thug. That was not somebody that was off into too much wildness. And, and, and he should still be here. And, um, you know, uh, I'm lucky. I always tell you this. I know a lot of cool people. And and Dr. Ian Levy is one of those people. He is an assistant professor, Department of Counseling and Therapy at Manhattan College in the Bronx, New York. He's also actually he's got bars. You know what I'm saying? Don't, 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 don't let the glasses fool you, bro. Like just like here, you'll get roasted. There's bars, but he is such um a great thinker about how hip hop is used um in education and in counseling and things like that. And so we're gonna talk, we're gonna have a deep conversation conversation about hip hop and engaging young people and, you know, kind of overcoming their trauma and, and, and how as important it is to address trauma, how important it is to transcend it. You know what I'm saying? So, so thank you, Doc, for being on the show. How are you today, man? I'm good. It's such a pleasure to be here. And especially like amidst all the happiness that that you just shared and i was so i saw you post about about your student and i was just i was yeah. so sorry to hear about that man no thank you man no it's a, it's a crazy time you know but when you're in education you know um tragically you know he was not the first student i lost and then, and i know that he won't be the last i wish right that that he never passed the way he did and the others didn't but this is part of the the thing, man, it's, it's, it's very, it's very frustrating and sad, you know? And so it's made me think a lot, you know, in one of my books, I talked about um, young people and grieving, right? And I would talk about how uh, this phrase I have, uh, you know, that America has its own child soldiers. Like when we think about, you know, child soldiers, we think of the Congo, we think of, you know, what's going on in different parts of Central Africa or whatever, right? Or the Sudan, but really like America has a lot of child soldiers, you know what I'm saying? But we call them Crips, Bloods, we call them Latin Kings, you know what I'm saying? Um, and this stuff like is really traumatic, not just for the kids who are involved, but for um, so many of the parents, the teachers, the counselors like yourself, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I kind of wanted to first just kind of get your thoughts on the passing, on the significance of the passing of DMX and MF Doom, you know what I'm saying? And then um, kind of get into some other conversations about hip hop and education and grief and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think DMX is is a really a perfect person to talk about when we think about navigating trauma, um, mm -hmm. but not, and I say navigating because I want to distinguish from like being sort of like overcome by it or so stuck in it that we cannot like live with it. Um, and he, he resembles, or to me, he embodies how to push through many traumatic experiences, right? So I, I don't resilient. know who so resilient, right? Like that's his, that's his whole narrative. And, um, 
So that when I think about DMX, that's what I think about, right? I think about how vulnerable he was, like how unapologetically vulnerable he was all of the time. Like every one, every piece of music that he created told a story about something that he had been through. Um, yeah. And it like simultaneously was able to, to talk about the extreme difficulties of navigating that situation, but with, with such like verve and, and, and forward moving flow that you just like felt like things were going to be okay. Right. Yeah, man. Like, and I don't like, and I'm thinking about, you know, um, like he had that, he has this very specific type of cadence, right? Like right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah. Like, and I was thinking about this a lot, actually. So if bear with me here, because I'm gonna go. I'm with you. Me, no, I'm loving this. Because right? you're a West Coast, you're a Do West you, Coast player? Guy, so we could talk this way. So like, yeah. So two, Tupac and DMX are quite similar in many ways. I was right? thinking this whole the whole yeah. time. I'm thinking about Pac, but go ahead. Yep, yeah, we on so, the same vibe. But, but but check this out, right? So like, I feel like. And I could be wrong. And this is classic, like East guy, East Coast guy, <laughs> talk about West Coast. But like my opinion, right, is right. that is that Pac was better at sitting in the pain, right? And DMX was better at using the pain as a springboard. And I think that that's even, in my opinion, that's evidenced in the flow, right? So like when you hear, when you think about like Tupac's flow, right? So right. if I have a beat, if I have just like a, like if I just have like a four on the floor, just like a boom, 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 right? Tupac's like on the back, like, yeah, yeah, but on that yeah. same beat, boom, 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 DMX is like, but it up, but it up. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, right? yeah. So he's he's spitting forward, and that's in in right. Like that's on that's on top of the beat, or, right. or on the back end of the beat. Like right. like musically, we know that no. like, this is where you can sit on on sort right. of the upbeat or on the other side of the beat. And so like, I feel that in 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 like they're both very similar because they both paint their stories in very like narrative mm-hmm. unapologetic ways their wordplay is and i mean this and in a in a endearing way is right. simple is simple right. and but that's not what in makes a way them... that it's yeah and not in a way that it's like crappy right like Dry. it's simple in a way that is like i can hear all of it i can feel all of it i have time i have space to really mm-hmm. sit with what you're saying um but i feel like there's this like push and pull of the more sort of like laid back reflective like i feel like i get a, a little bit more i mean you get both from both of them but i get a little bit right. more reflection from from Pac, um especially like on some like societal like systemic stuff and then yeah. i get and then i get more of this just like i don't care what we, like I'm, I'm here to eat and like kill it. And that's, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. there's like this resilience. Um, they both have it, but there's this very like forward moving, very focused thing that I get from DMX. And I think that's important as we think about grief, because that's what hip hop is to me, right? Hip hop is mm. this ability to be both of what, of what they represent, right? It's to be Pac and to be DMX. It's to be all of it, right? It's just what, what, scholars like you know um cynthia dillard and and bettina love would write about mm-hmm, it's like this mm-hmm. like, com- bettina love like, shout complex, out complex complex personhood right like i can right. be all of who i am 
in these moments. And, yeah. like, and for me, that's as it's as much about pain as it is about joy. It's as much as about trauma as, as, as it is about resilience. Like these don't exist in like isolated, like silos. Like, oh, today I'm here to just do trauma work. Like, nah, like, it is all of it. It's all of it at once. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, you know, that's some Dude. of my thoughts, hopefully yeah. in, in a way that made sense. <laughs> no, for real. Now, well, how, what, what are your thoughts on Doom? So Doom is just the spitter, man. Like I Doom, <sighs> Doom to me is just such a spitter. He, to me, represents wordplay at its like absolute finest. And I think that that is the impact he left on the game. So for me, it's more of like a, I wish I could come up with the types of rhyme schemes that that dude could come up with. Dude. I, he could think almost like so freely. So when I think about Doom, it's almost like he's freestyling, but I know he's not. And I don't know how he does it. You know what? I have the same. I was listening to, I think it was all caps. You know what I'm saying? And like, is that the one where he goes, don't, don't talk about my mom, Joe? Right? I think so, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think that's the one where he goes, don't, don't talk about my mom, Joe. And I started laughing. And I was telling him, I was like, do you know what that's a reference to? And so that's actually a reference to, to Style Wars. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a scene where I think it's Frosty Freeze and someone makes a joke about him. And someone says, where did breaking come from? The person, the cameraman says, where did the breaking come from? And then someone says, it was made, his mom made it, Freeze's mom's house. And he got real hurt that this was on camera, that someone dissed his mom's. He's like, yo, don't, don't talk about my mom, yo. Like, and it's like, like how he could weave that singular line in from the old school documentary into this beast bar. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just crazy. And I just love how fragmented and yet symmetrical his mm. raps were. Because mm. they, they seemed fragmented, but they weren't. They yeah. were very well crafted. They seemed random. That's why it's like that freestyle. It feels like it's, and the reason that I, that I love that is because there's this, and you know, as well as I, like when you can get into a pocket, when you can get into like a freestyle pocket, which for me is very hard to get to, but when I've gotten into those spaces, it feels amazing, right? Because like, you're just throwing things out there. I come up with some of my best stuff. Sometimes yeah. those freestyles become things that I write rhymes about in the future. Like yeah, something came up that I was not expecting in this moment mm -hmm. because I was freestyling and I said it in such an organic and descriptive way that I was like, yo, I got to put that in this track I'm writing. So yeah. like, but he like somehow every single rhyme he wrote felt like it, it came out of a freestyle. Like he's talking about like it, it, it always felt like it came out of left field, but then when you took a step back, you're like, it it didn't. It though, didn't. Right? There's like, no way. Yeah, didn't. yeah. It it was so crazy, man. It was so crazy, and uh, there was so much. You know, I also think that you know, in order to be a real dope freestyle or real dope battle MC or a dope rapper, I think mm -hmm. actually you have to be way more intelligent than you appear because to pull from so many things and make them work to pull from so many different words, 
topics, you know what I mean? Uh, flows. You have to be really, it's like, uh, it's like a yes. comedian, like a comedian yes. is super intelligent because not only do they understand the best of the subject and the worst of the subject, they know the funniest part of the subject. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And they know how to deliver that. You know what I mean? Even if you think it's funny, you can't say it the way Chappelle says it. You can't time it the way uh, uh, Johnny Carson would time it or, you know what I mean? Like, dude, like, that is an it's art. All, it's delivery research, right? It's research. As, yeah. Like I needed, I need, when I'm showing up to the cipher, I got to show up with like, my knowledge has to be on point because I also, I can't spit bars that are not rooted in fact, or I'm going to get called out for that as well. Right. So it's like, Oof. I got to do my research before. Um, but then, then there's also this piece though, when I think about research, like research to me is as much about learning about things from books and movies and current events and you yeah. know being prepared to, to provide really critical commentary on what's happening as much as it is knowledge of self. And like mm -hmm. my ability to pull from things from deep within me, which is something that we were just talking about, like Pac and yeah. DMX being incredible at. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that that's that's an important component here, too, especially as we we then together enter into this conversation around like around grief and loss and, and counseling. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can I use hip hop to like do research and understand the world that I'm situated within, but also to really understand myself and to pull from parts of myself in this like unapologetic, raw, vulnerable way. So I can yeah. communicate those things to the world, right? And communicate the fullness of myself out into the world. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it's, it's real. And I think that, you know, I've been thinking about hip hop and the role that it played specifically with black people, but it transcended and kind of gave every people who, who include themselves in the hip hop a reason in a way to change their name. Yeah. Right. The, 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 the redefining of self, right? Like, you know, he was Mike Schwartz, but the world knows him as Mixed Master Mike. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like DJ battle extraordinaire from the beastie boys and invisible scratch pickles. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you know, he was Jason Mizell from Hollis Queens, but the planet will never forget JMJ. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, it's like, I love this renaming. I love this, how, how so much of what happens that's beautiful in hip hop comes out of this redefining, you know, of this knowledge itself and things like that. At the same time though, the thing I've been struggling with, and I know I'm gonna sound like an old rap guy at this point, but one of the things that I've struggled with and tell me if you you feel the same way is, and it could be too, too much nostalgia on my part, I'll acknowledge this. Like sometimes I feel like a lot of the modern rappers who 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 I like, you know, I'm a fan of a boogie. I'm a fan of Lil Uzi Vert. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not out of the mix with a lot of these younger dudes. But what I don't always feel like is that they're sharing too much of their whole selves. Mm -hmm. That you know, Tupac, DMX, um, who else? Ice Cube, and so many of his evolutions. Right? You went mm -hmm. with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Ice Cube right now is not the Ice Cube from Death Certificate, but mm -hmm. 
but that was absolutely ice cube from death certificate you know what i mean in, in that timestamp, like you know I think the thing that makes people like DMX and Tupac stand out is that they were willing to be that vulnerable. And so many times I watch different rappers say they want to be the next Tupac, but I don't hear a Brenda's got a baby. I don't hear anything about their mom. I don't hear, and it doesn't have to be that thing, but it needs to be their thing. And I wish that there was more of that because that's what I want to hear. Like there's a million rappers that got women. There's a million rappers that had cars, but, Dear Mama is strictly Pac. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some of those spiritual raps from from DMX, you know, were just mind blowing. You know, um, what do you what do you think about where young hip hoppers are in terms? And I'm talking about in the industry, not like in your classroom, mm -hmm. but like, what do you feel about the artists being courageous enough to share themselves? Who are the artists that you find are sharing themselves? That that's that's where I'm so. I think putting the onus, so this is, none of this is like binary, right? Right, um, right. Right, like, so I wrote down, as you were talking, authenticity versus industry, right? Because like, that's really what I feel like the battle is. I don't think it's, I, and I think it's all of the mess in that, right? Mm, um, so good there's, point, a line, bro. there's a line off Lil Baby, Lil Baby's The Bigger Picture. You, right, which, he bars he bodied right is one right. of those moments where we're like oh shoot right like those moments that <laughs> those youngsters are kind of like, dope actually that's, that's a moment right <laughs> like dude did, did yeah did his thing on that but there's yeah. a line on that there's a line on that that's very important and he says um i know that i'm telling uh i know that i rap about selling uh selling drugs you know or i i know that i rap about guns and selling dope but like at the same time, I'm telling my young dudes to go out and vote. Woo! Something. something yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the tension, right? Mm -hmm. That's the tension. He has to rap about those things. And I think, and I'm not saying that Tupac didn't, or Ice Cube did not right. face the same pressures to write those things. Right. But hip hop is way 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 bigger right now hip hop is it's like it's like infinitely in, bigger in, though it is imbued in every single part of our existence it's all over instagram it's everywhere if you can see it it's there like the footprint of it's hip hop in is advertising huge. it's in advertising it's in fashion so right for how, cereal so, like yeah. like not for crazy stuff for yeah. cereal for yes, bubble gum yes sir right and so so the impact of the industry and the stranglehold that the industry has that the hip-hop music industry has and by when i say that i'm talking mostly about like white jewish dudes like right right myself, right but at the top corrupt He's like, right? <laughs> um and, uh, right and so like like that's what i'm thinking about right and like they're pulling the strings because they got endorsement deals they got advertisers they got right they can the, get the nike in the door that's right. it and so because of that, I think that the avenues for authenticity, it's not, I don't think that it's as much that the young people that are in, that are entering the industry do, don't want to be authentic. The question is like, can they? <laughs> Quite simply. Damn, homie, can like they? that, huh? Because no, you're, you're really, you're being right. Because look you're at baby, really look at little baby. Like, you know they ain't letting him do they're not gonna let him do too much more of that like they're gonna this moment yeah yeah you got that out we we, we acknowledge that's an anthem so stick with the syrup you know what i mean yeah yeah 
And so I, I just think that those are the real tensions we need to sit with. And there are people that know how to do it, but like the industry has historically like demolished those people. Like look at Lupe Fiasco. Oh, if any guy, if anybody got thrown to the side for no reason, well, like, he's so gifted. He wanted, yeah. But he got thrown to the side, not for no reason, but because he cared more about authenticity. Yeah. Like, and so, and it's not that young people, do, so this is the, the, the issue that I have when it relates to this notion of, of genuineness and the industry is, is not to blame young people. And I'm not saying that either of us are doing that, but I just want to name Yeah, yeah, but just that listeners. we don't, right? To be, yeah, to be like, deliberate and not blaming. I feel you. Yeah. Like, so if I'm 16 or 17 or 18 and Def Jam wants to give me a million dollars, pretty hard to say no. And I'll be saying whatever they're talking about. Yeah. Right? Did you what say? What do I got to do? Yeah. Did you say promethazine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is that the- Or promethazine. I don't even know these syrups. Who knows? <laughs> There's all new types of syrup. But, uh, but the, the industry preys on impressionable young people mm. who they know that they the can wave dollars in front of. And look, it's the same thing that they did when kids were flipping on mattresses and yeah, you know, and they they drove through the hoods and and look at what they did to the b boy and the b girl. Like they they took they took that whole that whole element that whole art form. Like on tours around the world, they they got every piece of like every bit of money. They extracted all yeah. that they possibly could, and they left them high and dry. They're doing. Then this is credit to my big bro, Chris Emden. Like he said, like he once said in a class that I was in, like the, all of the all of the tools or all of the the warning signs for what MCs and the element of MCing needed right. to avoid were present in how they did the B boy, right? So it's like Ooh, we saw Emden sprinkles yeah. the jewelry yeah, on yeah, them right always, there, always. <laughs> and, and, we, and we saw that. So if we know that, right, then then it's up to us to resist the tensions that the industry has to define authenticity and define how hip hop needs to be presented. Um, and, and it's really to define how hip hop needs to be presented and then minimize authenticity. That's really the correct way to Dude, say it. It's, it's so deep too, right? Cause now you got me tripping because you're reminding me in this very moment, man, of, have you ever heard the song that the game did with Nas? Maybe call letter to the king, my lord. Okay, yeah. If you want to get your cranium blown back over a mellow beat that is just <laughs> bar on top of bar, dealing with so many complex uh, to me, of all the features that Nas has done on somebody else's song, yeah, murder. I mean, absolute murder. And we're talking about the game, West Coast. Like, you know, everybody knows, like, the main stereotype about the West Coast is people say we don't got a lot of black pride and knowledge and care about, you know, the culture. Nah, I mean, bro, no. The game of all rappers, he, he destroys the whole thing. But, like, you know, um, the thing that stuck out to me, and he actually said this line twice back to back in his rap. And he said, you know, Sometimes I want to give up or at least take a break, but then I close my eyes and see Coretta Scott's face. Mm. And I was like, yo, right? Like, come on, man. Like, like, 
to hear him talk about King, to hear him talk about uh, 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 Coretta Scott King, to hear Nas talking about Ebenezer Baptist Church and how he feels like a lot of the Christian preachers misled us, you know what I mean? And mm. how, how vulnerable we are now because of that. Like, it's really crazy, man. It's really crazy. Um, and, and when I look at songs like that and other songs that rappers have done that deal with like deeply social issues that you wouldn't expect, you know, someone like the game to do a, a song like that, let alone with Nas, right? And when I look at like all of the different kind of amazing pieces that, that hip hop has where it is mourning its ancestors, right? Mourning its friends. Like it's just, it's, it's a very profound aspect of hip hop that I have deep reverence for. You know what I mean? Like hip hop is very fun and it is very uh, inspirational, right? It's, it's taken me all over the world and I've been able to do really cool stuff with it and through it, you know? And I met amazing people like you, but I really find that this aspect of like hip hop and death for young people, that's never left. Like, I feel like Dead Homies was the first track that I remember, right? But then you had like Tupac and, you know, does heaven got a ghetto, right? And, 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 and different things like that. And it just, you know, and then again, back to DMX, like um, B.I.G. ready to die. You know what I'm saying? And like all these things that young people have to struggle with, like, on your end, like, as someone who teaches counseling and who helps people guide children, like, how do you teach that aspect of the game when it's such a bizarre intangible that a, a student can't know it maybe until they, until they got to do it. Right. Like, yeah. Like how do you, how do you proactively process or build the skills to process death when death is a very reactive thing right and, mm -hmm. and that's a much larger conversation in america of course of course we're, right we're horrible at dealing with death like, <laughs> we're just like oh somebody died like we we don't know how to react until it happens right when you compare right what we do to other cultures that are just where death is treated differently and is and is very much more sort of like understood and mm -hmm. part of life um mm -hmm. whereas it's it's constantly um yeah, anyways, I'm pulling too much for my personal. No, but it's deep know, it though. But but it that's the thing, up. right? Is 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 that that the thing? That's the thing is that hip hop, death, and the way that we interpret it and grieve are a personal experience. Yes, 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 yes. And that's so. I think that's it, right? Like I think that. Oh. So let me center this in like my work in schools, right? Like my work in schools as a school counselor is creating therapeutic environments for young people to use hip hop in as many of its forms as possible mm -hmm. to process thoughts and feelings. And I, when I say thoughts and feelings as a general, right? Like all mm -hmm. the happy stuff, all the hard stuff, everything in between. Mm -hmm. right? like I, and that needs to be the regular practice, right? So we're saying we work with young people to construct school studios because we know that the recording studio beyond some beyond, you know, inside of school spaces or, or why counseling offices are important or anything like that at a cultural level. Mm. The studio is a place for transformation. Ain't it though? 
even if it's a pop-up little microphone in your uncle's basement. Yo. You know what I mean? Totally. Like there that space is important because that is where the that is where songs get created outside of the guise of the industry and everything else. Anything. And, and that emotional labor occurs in that space because that's what it was designed for culturally, right? So like for mm. me, like the studio as a therapeutic environment and allowing young people to tell us how studios should be built. Like I want a young person to say, just like I referenced, like what well, my uncle's spot, you know, right. We did this this way. Okay. Right. Let's, put the, let's put the mic that way. Well, they let's got the eggshell things on the wall, they got the eggshells. Yeah, exactly. Or the foam. Like, yeah, but the, or like, but maybe maybe your uncle didn't need the foam because he found a way to flip an eggshell. So let's flip mm -hmm. an eggshell. You know, what mm -hmm. I mean, like that type of stuff, right? Like, like is important. Studios to me, and I'm naming this as an important sort of like entry points to the work. Don't need to be like eighty thousand dollar funded like <laughs> Times Square studio spaces and schools. Come on, bro. I would actually say that that doing that strips it of its authentic value. Uh, I would say that 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 what is most important is asking youth to define it to get let's mm. get those egg crates if that's going to make it feel because I want this to remind the young people when they enter it as a space that they've been in before. Right. Where they can process things in a real way. I want it to not I, like when when you open the door to my office at the high school and you close the door, I used to tell my students this all the time. I want that I want you to forget that you're even in the freaking school building. Yo, right? yo, idea, right? can I tell you yeah. not to cut you off, but I need to share this with you because I, I can I can totally identify with what you're talking about. When I taught at at uh, at, at this one particular high school called Realm, right, where I met where mm -hmm. I met Demetrius. Right. So the first year I taught there, I just taught there like whatever's uh in the middle of the year like second semester the next year was my first like actual full year so when i went in they gave me my own room i didn't technically have my own room you know that first half of semester as soon as they gave me it i reached out to crayon crayon is one of the illest graffiti bombers in the history of the bay i was like crayon listen we go back i need mm -hmm. you to bomb my classroom there it is I was like, on one part, I need you to just write chess and jujitsu. On the other one, I want you to put my name, Mr. Bishop. Just mm. put Mr. Bishop. So he comes through one day, you know, a few weeks before school's ready, right? Let the paint dry, whatever. And then I was like, what can I do in my classroom to make it feel different than the other classrooms? Mm -hmm. And what I did was I burned a little incense in between classes. I never burned incense in class, but I burned incense between classes. Mm -hmm. So that when kids came in, they were like, yo, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they chill mm -hmm. like, yo, is that Nog Champa? What is that? Is that a Lotus flower? Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it was just very cool. And because I was teaching chess and jujitsu, we had mats. So I'd be like, all right, everybody push the desk back. We're going to sit down in a circle. We're going to, you know, I'm going to show you this technique. We're going to put the chessboard here and blah, blah, blah. And like, I think that what you're speaking to is so important as education changes, right? Because these sterile fluorescent lights, you know, rigid desks. I mean, I'm not saying that the, the structure doesn't need to be there, but let's be more flexible with what our structure can be so that our kids can be more comfortable and learn in a place of peace. 
Does this make sense? Am I tripping out? It 100% makes sense. And I, I would go as far to say that the structured, like we need to push back against those structures. I think it's okay for that structure not to be there in some instances, right? Right. Um, but, but the reality is the recreation of the aesthetics of the space to make it feel different and to make it feel like a place where this emotional, that where the evocation of emotions can occur is mm-hmm. the first step in the work. Um, the, and then the, the, one, the one like push that I would give, like building off your narrative, right? That I would, I would actually to use to sort of like almost elevate it is like, w- th- there is work that we can do as educators this summer uh, before our students show up in the spring in our spaces. But that's only half the battle. The, in my opinion, the real battle is is not what we do based on what we think young people will like, but is actually what happens when young people show up, even in the summer, if you invite them to, mm-hmm. uh, and say, what do you want this lo- room to look like? What, like, mm. let's all actually decide together. Let's consult with the graph artist. What can they draw? Like, why don't you all have what a would inspire you? What, what would be on the wall that makes you happy? Right, 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 right. That, 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 that makes you feel great. That's right. It. Can I Ooh. see myself in the mural that's on the wall? Cause, cause we run the risk, right. And it's these slight differences, but we run the risk of like, even if I'm like super well-intentioned and I decide like a mural that I think students are going to like, like, I don't know for certainty that young people are going to be able to see themselves in that. Right. That's based on Mm. my perception of what they're going to like and how they're going to see themselves, which is, so it's like about stripping all of that down and saying, let's just ask youth to be engaged in this process. And they're going to say, well, summer it's school's not in session. I don't care. I'll call them up. Or I'll FaceTime them yeah. into the room and meet with me with the guy. Like, Be like, what do you think? Right, 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 yeah. right. We have to have youth involved in that process. Like that has to be part of the work. And that, and that's the entry point because if we have not created a physical location within the building that does not feel like the rest of school, which is like you said, and I love that you said it, sterile, structured to mm-hmm. the degree that then emotional expression is inhibited, right? Mm-hmm. If we've not created the space for just things to come to the surface, then of course we ain't ready when death happens. Man. Like, yeah. So, you know, what's so deep, one, bro. Right? Wow. Because like now you're giving me flashbacks. I remember when teachers came into my room, they were like, mm-hmm. Oh, you, you got graffiti on the, Oh man, I couldn't, you know, and everybody knew I had the coolest room yep. in the whole school. Everybody. Yeah. Yep. Right. And what was deep and it's just hitting me now is when many different students, some of whom I didn't feel directly connected to when they were having a hard time, they mm-hmm. always came to my room. That's it. Right. And they would be like, I'd be like, yo, Sarah, what are you doing here? She never speaks. Right. And she's just mm-hmm. like, I just want to sit here. Cool. Have a seat. Do you want to play chess? No. Okay, fine. Stay and we put, need that. We, we need right? all of those services to exist in schools. Right. We need, we need a space where young people can just go sit when they need to just sit and be in their thoughts. That yep. needs to happen. Um, yep. And of course, as counselors, you're going to then get like, you know, teachers are going to get pissed at you. Administration might get pissed at you and say, you're not doing anything, you know, but that's false, right? Uh, it's it's a preventative, very false. It's a preventative measure. Sometimes people just need to take a few minutes to kick it and sit in their thoughts. I'm there if they need, mm-hmm. and that's going to lead to it, right? That student that never talks, that needs to come to my office to sit for five minutes to get some to just like reflect on some things they eventually are going to say something and then i'm going to start 
I'm going to be able to start digging and do some more work with them. Right. So that opens up, right. And that individual work that you do in that space, like if you have the studio space, like maybe that student who was sitting in the corner for a month starts to open up a little bit and you find out that there's struggles at home that that keep getting triggered in their mind in class. And so they come to the space to sit down. And if that's the case, then before you know it, we start crafting a song with the student about that. And then they can bring that back with them, right? And hell, they might even have it with them in the hallway. So now when they start to feel those feelings emerged, they pop a headphone in, they bump their own joint about their own struggles to remind themselves of what they're capable of. Man, that's so deep. I used to know a kid who did that. I used to know a kid who did that. You know what I mean? Like he rapped, but a lot of times he just rapped for himself. You know what I mean? Like that was super deep, man. Now, let me ask you this. In, in, in many memoirs, that's hella real. In the scope, like, I remember working in a school that had, like, three or four counselors for Mm -hmm. the school, for the high school. Mm -hmm. I remember, like, after one bad year, we had, like, one, Mm -hmm. right? And I remember watching how going from four to one hurt the students, right? I remember a kid who didn't graduate because the counselor told him that he didn't need credits that he did need. And then when it came to be crunch time, it was too late. And then the kid couldn't graduate, but it was through no fault of his own. He was told he was on point. You know what I mean? I, I saw how kids who, who, who were really close to their counselors never vibed with the new one counselor, you know what I mean? And things like that. Now, after uh, this pandemic and we see schools starting to face their own like yeah that was actually that's a weak thing that we do huh that's actually not good right Mm -hmm. like as the schools start to return and as we start to reimagine what education could and should be can you talk to me about like what do you think the state is of where counseling is at right now in the schools and where could it be given now there's a pandemic and we can see tell me what we can see yeah so there is most certainly a need for increased counseling services in schools. There was before the pandemic um, and people were not listening. And I I would like to feel the optimist in me would like to feel that, that people are listening now. Mm -hmm. Um, Nationally, we, we know uh, as you're stating that we're behind that the national averages last I checked for school counselors was around 400 students to one school counselor. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough. Uh, that it, that's pretty much what it was where I was just talking about the yeah, school. Yeah, that was usually, pretty much that exactly thing. That's usually right. what it is. And so we know we don't have enough services and we know that we need them, but we also need to understand like how services are provided, right? Like every single a mental health service is not only a crisis. Mm. And I think that we think that mental health is only a concern when a student is suicidal when a student has lost somebody, when a student has gotten into a fight in a classroom, when a student curses out their teacher, we wait for, pardon my French, we wait for shit to hit the fan before we react. That's how Ooh. our system exists. That's how everything, that's how- That's, that's the how, American way. That's the, Ameri- <laughs> that's the medical model. Like, oh, oh, our system messed you up. Don't worry, here's a pill, right? Like, right. like that's, that's, our whole system is built that way, right? Like, and, and so- So because of that reality, the services in schools, listen, we need services in schools that address crisis when they emerge. I'm not saying that we don't. We absolutely do. But that cannot be the only service that we offer. And 
And it might be news to listeners, but like there are different mental health professionals that address each of these parts of so this, true. What, right. what, what my uh, homie, uh, Dr. Raphael Travis would call like this mental health continuum. Like Dr. Travis are, gets a there, salute. There are all of these parts that, that need to be focused on. Right. So like I'm a school counselor. All right. Right. I, I do a lot of small groups with young people that focus on like developing social skills, emotional skills. Right. Um, I might work on self-esteem. I might work on identity development stuff. I'm doing that all from the moment I meet students. I'm doing school wide programming that right. helps students like I might collaborate with your, you know, with with Hip Hop Chess Federation. because right. I know that Hip Hop Chess Federation offers some social and emotional benefits to students in the school. And I'm doing that all before I even see any like real stark issue arise in, my, in the students on my caseload. Right. I know that all of those actually decrease the reality that crises will emerge. Right. right. But then I need other staff in the school that do that other stuff. So we need school social workers as well. Right. Who can right. be in the cut doing the work when crises emerge or with students that are that have a diagnosis. Right. So like, right. We, we need this range of services. Hell, we need teachers to be able to just simply have emotional check-ins in their classrooms with students when they walk in the room and be able to just be like, how you doing? And have a quick little dialogue just to make students feel like they're under they're understood and felt and heard in the room. So so the 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 range in which we address mental health in a school needs to be dramatically shifted. It needs to become part of everything that we do. My fear is that like I'm in New York state. Right. And in, the, in this moment in New York state, like there's an influx of only school social workers and the, and and they're saying we're focused on mental health. And my response is, are you or are you focused on crisis? Because because of the positionality of the professionals and what I just explained, mm -hmm. our focus is saying we need people in schools to respond to crisis, which and, and we're only doing that because of a crisis. We're saying like kids are going to come back all messed up. We need to give them services, right? We need to give services. That, yes, but we also need services that are that are always available for every <sighs> single student in the building. Yo. Every single moment that an emotion arises or else we're not going to build the skills for the moments that crises occur. Mm. And that for me is the work like the work is actually preparing young people for the inevitable failure of America. Right. It's, it's just going to continue to crash and burn. And if we are only there when it crashes and burns, then are we actually doing service to young people? Right. We, we need to be there when things are great. And we need to be mm. checking in and making sure that the skills are intact. Mm. And we need you know, to, we so don't do that. Deep. We don't do that. Oh my God. That I mean, like you actually just dropped a whole orchestra of bombs right now. Like I'm having a hard time keeping up. I'm like, sorry. I, if I did too many things, no. I apologize. No, <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautifully done. I, this isn't a complaint. Oh. I'm just sitting in the wonder of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting yeah. in the wonder of it, you know, um, this this thing to that okay so here's so bringing it back to dmx and mf doom one of the things that i also struggled with uh working in different schools was okay hold on before i do that remember mm -hmm. when you mentioned like checking checking in with the students yes right so last year i started doing that for the first time and i said hey look 
when we start class, I'm going to ask everyone how they're doing. I just want you to be honest. You don't have to give details, but I want to know how you're doing mentally, physically, and emotionally. So mm-hmm. boom, how are you doing mentally, physically, and emotionally? Well, you know, no, no, no. how are you feeling mentally, physically, and emotionally? Then you can know by the time you get to like the fifth student, that student is having a horrible ass day. They just mm-hmm. fought with their mom. It was raining. They missed the train. They're 20 minutes late. They're hella wet because they didn't have, right? Mm-hmm. And I can actually adapt my lesson based on knowing that like, yes, this kid's checked out today. Yes. So we can still teach, but I'm going to do, uh, I was going to start like this. Now I'm not. Cause if I started the way I was going to start, they're going to flip. Cause they're not really, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't have the emotional bandwidth given everything that happens. And it, it changed my relationship with my students so much. And I already have a really good relationship with my kids, but that was a game changer, man. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm really juiced that you mentioned that. Um, but back to DMX and MF doom, this issue of addiction, mm. This issue of addiction. Um, this stuff is a beast in hip hop, you know? Like, it's so hard, you know? And and w- one of my friends the other day was like, yo, what kind of friends did DMX have? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, you know, look, look, look how much he did for the game. Look how all these people are posting, oh, this dude did all this work and blah, blah. Because I had written like, if all you people that are writing about DMX right now would have written this like, three months ago, six months ago, 10 years ago, maybe he wouldn't have killed himself. Maybe he would have got sober, maybe whatever. But the other reality is addiction hijacks people from whoever they used to be, Mm -hmm. right? So you can be DMX, be totally addicted and like not be able to get right. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed these young people today that are on a lot of drugs, they're in a lot of pain. You know, mm-hmm. I used to judge them. I used to be like, yo, this kid's smoking hella weed. This kid's drunk in school. This kid's, and really they're just in pain trying to get just a little space like can you talk about your experience uh as a counselor dealing with addiction and young people and what have you kind of learned and what do you think parents and teachers might really need to consider in that space as we look at you know dmx mf doom and some of these other artists who have passed due to that so the entire conversation that we just had around lack of mental health services for me like this is why folks self-medicate right like Mm. we don't we don't provide services and even if there are enough counseling staff all the methodologies that counselors pull from were written by and for white folks right like Mm. so there there's not we don't have a sense of like what what are adequate approaches to counseling that we can offer to black and brown young people in schools because we don't have that. What does it take to have a practitioner who is versed in that? And that's not to say we don't. There are models, but they're right. Not but models but they're not. Yeah. And they're not used widely. Right. 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 And so and so because of that, folks do what they got to do. Right. They write rhymes about it because we know that historically the cipher has been as much group therapy as as has been. Come on. Absolutely. Um, but we also know that sometimes people smoke a joint and sometimes people drink some lean and sometimes people do some coke and they like people use drugs as an escape a lot of time and that's 
not to distinguish. I mean, there's nuances, of course, in all of this, and there are other mm-hmm. reasons why folks are us. But when I think about a lot of the young people I've worked with, it was a cry for help. It yeah. was an indication of a need to process some other stuff that yeah. was easier to like numb out with the use of a substance than yeah. to process. Um, and not because they didn't want to process it, maybe because they didn't know how, but oftentimes because all of the helping professionals that they had interacted with prior to that point were whack and didn't let them process. So like, right. We're so, usually judging. We're doing a lot more judging than, than, than being, a, 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 and having exactly. empathy, right? And the way, the way that drug use and addiction is, is, is socialized in America is through the lens of judgment, right? It's mm. like, it's this taboo thing that we don't talk about. And then it's too late, mm. which sounds a lot like how we deal with death and sounds like how we deal with, almost everything in this country, right? Like Ibram X. Kendi said, um, uh, it's like um, the root of America is denial, I think he said. Woo! Um, And so like denial is this thing that sits at the core. Um, And if we don't allow young people to be all of themselves, if we don't create like school studios and let young people make mixtapes in which they're processing all their thoughts and feelings or choreographed dances that help them process those feelings or collaborating with a dope graph artist to design Mm -hmm. a mural that processes Mm -hmm. thoughts and feelings. And if we don't make it a norm to discuss how it is that we feel and when things start to happen in our lives that are uncomfortable or all the way beyond uncomfortable, all the way to the, to traumatic straight up. If we can't process that in school, then we're shutting the door on that for young people and we're forcing them to find their own way through it. And we know how that story is going to go. A lot of them are going to do it through hip hop because hip hop was built for that. And it's going to be right. dope. But a lot of people are going to fall into some drug use as well. Right. And, right. and, and, and some bad, try some to, other bad practices, other bad things to try to get some bread so they can get out of a situation that we've put them in. Right. So right. Like the reality is like the accountability is on the system. Right. Uh, I think at the core of all of these different things that, that are intersecting here. Um, and I think that's where we need to go, right? I, I can't claim to be an expert in in like drug rehabilitation. No, I feel you. Yeah, but, but yeah, I do me say, either, for sure. I would say that uh, the the pathway forward is through like being able to r- discuss and radically allow young people to be them their full selves and talk through what they need to talk through prior to things even being a thing. Dude, yo, man. I'm so glad you came on this show. Thank you so no doubt. much, man. Now, before we shut it down, I, I've got to ask you, um, your podcast is killing the game and I want people to go check it out. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to give everybody your, your socials, you know what I mean? Like, oh, what's yeah. up with, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then, and then talk to them about that, that book you got coming out too. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. So my, you can find me at uh, at Ian P Levy. That's I A N P L E V Y on all platforms. So cool. all of them. And then my website yep. is ianplevy.com. So very easy okay. to find me. It's all Ian P. Um, and uh, 
I have the, the Lunchroom Cypher podcast, which uh, you were just a guest on. That episode is is in the queue, so that'll be out soon on, on hip-hop and chess and jujitsu and school counseling and all this dope stuff. So I'm super hyped to share that. Uh, it's yeah, called the that's Lunchroom a fun, that was podcast. fun, man. Yeah, man, and it's all about youth development. It's on all um, and how hip-hop and counseling can be used to support youth development. So go check that. That's on all streaming platforms. And then my book, yeah, so I'm super stoked, man. So in one month, uh, almost one month from today, five yeah. weeks. So yeah. May, May 27th, um, okay. I have a book dropping that is called Hip Hop and Spoken Word Therapy in School Counseling, <sighs> Developing Hotness. Culturally Responsive Approach. Hotness. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And it's, uh, it's a research monograph. So I won't say too much, but it's like it's a collection of different research studies that I've done with a nice little narrative about the importance of each of them and how they connect to each other. So it's like a very like library, like research kind of dense text. It's a research mm -hmm. monograph, but right. there's an ebook version that is at an affordable price point that you should check out. So if you want to get it on the on the personal tip, get the ebook. If you're affiliated with a university. Make your library buy it and then yeah, the make them get exist it in the library for everybody right. else, which is a dope look. So if you want the hard copy and you got a library affiliate, hit them up. If not, check the ebook. Um, it's on pre-order right now. I think like Sick. 35 bucks for the ebook. It's a little expensive because it's a text like that. No, nah, but that's what's up, man. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Is like, you know, like I feel bad that you even had to say like it's 35 bucks, but because you know yeah. why, because we need to be happily paying that kind of money to change our schools yeah. when we know how bad they are. We need to, to change the way we look at how art can impact the, the, the joy and, and the actual cognitive mind of the students that we hope to, yes, you know what I mean? If 35 bucks is what it is, like let's all gladly pay that and help these yep. kids, man. So, you yeah. know, I want to really take this moment to thank you for all the things you've no contributed doubt. to hip hop, for the things you've done for your students, for the things you've done for the kids in New York, you know what I'm saying? And other parts of the country and the world, like it's very important, man. And I'm just letting you know that I absolutely, you know, I've been peeping you for a couple of years before we, you know, actually connected, yeah. connected. And, 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 and the appreciation is very sincere, bro. Like, thank you. You know, and thank you, man. I mean, the, the feelings are the same on my side, man. It's been, I've been wanting to connect with you for a minute. So I'm glad that we finally have gotten yeah, to do dude. that a couple of times. Yeah. 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 Well, yo, thank you for being on Bishop Chronicles. No um, yo, man, that is the show. Holla at a scholar. You know what it is. It's worldwide. If West Side, we doing it. You know what I'm saying? And uh, next week, uh, I'm dropping even more bombs on your moms. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to tell you who the guest is. You'll figure it out. Peace. Teacher, what style is that? It's my own secret technique. What's it called? Take me, sucker, not a move game. Over, over. What's it called? Adisa Benjoko's friend. That's right.